Thank you, Doobie, for sharing that story of grace. Nothing more beautiful to my ears. Thank you. Our reading today is Acts 4, uh, verses 13 through 31. You're going to love this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant Our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against the holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided before what should happen. Now the Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. So when's the last time you got caught for doing something good and were punished for it? 
I remember getting caught for doing things that weren't good when I was a kid and getting punished all the time, but I can't remember as a child ever getting caught for something I did good and being punished for it. But that's the story, right? Remember what preceded it? We talked about it last week. Peter and John were going to the temple and a man who was lame from birth for 40 years said, I need help. And Peter and John said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And for that, they were punished. They were called in onto the carpet, so to speak. They were told not to any longer speak in the name of Jesus. The authorities couldn't deny that the man had been healed. He'd been at the temple for 40 years for the most part. Everybody knew who he was and now he was walking. And the people all around the temple were praising God and they were saying, what in the world are we going to do with these people? The only thing we know to do with these people, these disciples, is to shut them up. And so the way to shut them up is to threaten them and tell them not to speak in the name of Jesus. After they've done this wonderful deed, persecution begins. And by the way, this is only the beginning of it. But notice their response. Their response to not preaching in the name of Jesus. Their response is actually bold. The command don't do this emboldens them to do just that. And they begin to preach even more. Question is, what happened? Really, are these the same guys? The same guys that followed Jesus before the crucifixion? The same ones who turned and ran? What happened? Well, the historical answer, the simple historical answer is Pentecost happened. The Spirit was poured out upon them in a new way. The revelation of God was now before them in a way they had never seen it. And their reality had changed. Instead of what used to be the case for them, instead of them constantly asking Jesus, when are you going to do this and when are you going to do that? When's your kingdom going to come? What's the next plan on your agenda, Jesus? Instead of asking those questions as sort of bystanders who were helping out a little bit and trying to learn, It seems that after Pentecost, the disciples become full partners with Jesus. It's a different way of looking at life altogether. The Spirit has been poured out in this new era, and now they find themselves in direct partnership with Jesus, even though He's absent from them. So what does this partnership with Jesus do? When you're in true partnership with Jesus, according to this story and the story of the apostles far beyond this through the book of Acts, when you're in true partnership with Jesus, your perspective changes. Your whole perspective on life changes. Notice what happened after they got in trouble. Their prayer with the other believers was, Sovereign Lord, here are the circumstances We know what just happened. We know what was commanded. But there's another reality that we see. And that is that you're sovereign. And that you're orchestrating all the affairs of human beings 
to advance your cause in this present world. You're the sovereign Lord of the universe, the sky and the earth and everything, and you, oh God, knew in advance and are now controlling the players that are persecuting us. So, sovereign Lord, when we look at Herod and we look at Pontius Pilate, And we look at those who say, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. Our entire perspective changes because you're the sovereign Lord. We have to follow you. We have to answer to you. And you're going to do with them exactly what you planned. And maybe sovereign Lord, part of your plan is to allow them to persecute us. And for us to continue to share your grace. My, what a perspective. God, you're in control of everything, and we trust you. No matter what the circumstances, Lord, we follow. True partnership with Jesus changes our perspective. A true partnership with Jesus also, it it really creates a new meaning in life. What was formerly circumstances now become providential care. The facts haven't changed, but the meaning concerning the facts has dramatically changed. And what might look like persecution is actually somehow, remarkably, in this new world of meaning, the grace of God. And in partnership with Jesus, it seems that even the mundane takes on new meaning. In effect, they were saying, God, we have seen enough of your promises fulfilled. Remember that passage they quoted from Psalms? We've seen enough of your promises fulfilled that we can absolutely trust that you're writing this story. And we're stepping into this story. We're creating or stepping into this new meaning concerning life. And it's going to transform the way we act and live. You know, that that happens at a lot of different levels, right? It It's not just the spiritual level in this passage. The mundane takes on new meaning when something about your life changes. I'll I'll never forget um, in 1977, October 11th, I sent a dozen red roses to a beautiful young girl. Um, now the florist did it, right? But I knew they'd arrived. And then I left school and I went to work. And work was rather mundane. I worked outside. I worked for a rich person. I pulled their weeds. I cut the grass. And everything about the grass and the weeds seemed different. Because all I could think of was that beautiful young girl and those 12 red roses. And, and life took on new meaning. Isn't it kind of weird that that experience can transform the weeds that are in front of you? I, I was pulling them with great joy or something. I don't know what was going on. But you've experienced that, right? A new meaning just is is placed over you 
And you see everything differently. And the mundane becomes different. I mean, think of this. If you're on, let's say, a musical production, in a musical production, and you have a particular role, and, and your role is really not that big. It's really rather small. And on any given day, if you weren't in that musical production doing that particular thing, that particular thing would seem rather mundane. But on this occasion, that particular thing takes on new meaning. It's dramatically new. Or if you're on a team and you have a part to play on a team, the same thing happens. Or for some of you, a lot of you... um, don't remember this, and I don't either. But for some of you, you remember World War II. You remember being young in World War II. And you remember that everything changed. Everything had a new meaning. And the difficulties of life took on a new meaning. And the lack of milk or cheese took on a new meaning. And mothers who otherwise would have stayed home went to work to do things that they would never have done before. Everything took on a new meaning. Everything you did somehow assisted in this grand enterprise of saving the world from despotism. The smallest little things. I've heard those stories from some of you. What was mundane became remarkably new. When you enter into partnership with Jesus, as the disciples did, what was formerly mundane does become new. It takes on new meaning. There's a fourth thing that happens when you're in true partnership with Jesus. When you're in true partnership with Jesus... You place yourself under the canopy of the protection of the sovereign God. That's why they were so fearless. They said, Sovereign Lord, you've got it all under control. Lord, we're going to do what we know we're called to do. And we're asking you to protect us and perform miracles. And at the end of that passage, you know the story. The place is shaken. And God gives them the assurance that they're under his care. Shortly after this, because they continue to preach the gospel, Peter's in prison. Remember that story? He's put in prison and the people on the outside are praying for him, fervently praying for him. And an angel just miraculously takes him right out of jail and brings him to that prayer meeting. That's a description of God's protection over Peter. But wait, shortly after that, a disciple named Stephen is stoned to death for doing the same thing. And then advance well beyond that. And Peter himself, according to tradition, is crucified upside down for proclaiming the name. And Paul, the great apostle of the New Testament, is beheaded in Rome for proclaiming the name. 
So it's not as though the protection of God means that everything according to our standards will work out how we think they will. It doesn't mean that we won't even lose our life. It means something different. It means that nothing in all God's creation can separate us from the love of God. It means that our life is under the canopy of the protection of the grace of God who has given us eternal life. And even when this life goes wrong, the eternal life that we've inherited through Jesus Christ our Lord will be with us forever. And to put it in the words of great saints many times, this might be the end for me, but it's the beginning of life. That's the indestructible nature of eternal life. That's the protection that God provides those who follow Him. Martyrdom for all these disciples became a gateway to life itself. One more point. True partnership with Jesus produces shalom. That's that's a Hebrew word for peace. It means more than our common word peace. It means something other than just the cessation of hostilities. As a matter of fact, it means an absolute eternal calm and flourishing of the way things ought to be. And it, ironically, can exist under circumstances where everything is not the way it ought to be. The disciples here and later experience an uncommon uncanny, absolutely unreasonable peace. Why? Because they see themselves as absolute, inseparably linked partners with Jesus. Hostility was all around them. Chaos was all around them. And still they experienced a deep, subtle peace. Notice there's no sense of panic. God, you're in control. We're with you. When I think of this story, I think of us. I always do. That's just part of preaching. But it's also part of the application of the Word for you in your personal life. And here's what I think of. Sometimes we look at stories like this, like the stories of the disciples, and we say to ourselves, oh yes, now they've arrived. We say that about the saints, too. Now they've arrived. They, they've got it. They've figured it out. We say about the disciples, well, they're Christians now in a Pentecost kind of way. They're on the other side of Pentecost. They understand the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. There's new era in, in front of them. They understand it. They've been transformed by the Spirit in a way that they weren't before. And all that is true. However, sometimes after we make those declarations, which are true, we conclude that we live on the other side of Pentecost. I mean, in a way that we can't be followers of Jesus Christ like they were on that side of Pentecost. In other words, if we're going to be real Christians, we have to be the kinds of Christians that the disciples were in Acts chapter 4 and following, not the kind of Christians the disciples were before the resurrection. At some level, that's true. 
God calls us to be those kinds of Christians that follow Christ the way the disciples did after Pentecost. But here's another part of our reality. My friends, you know it's true. You've been on this side of Pentecost, on the other side of the resurrection, before those events happened. And you were truly a follower of Jesus Christ. And as you followed, you stumbled, you misunderstood, you did foolish things over and over again, even though you now have the knowledge of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in a new era. You're still over there. Now, you may be expecting me to suggest that you need to come over to this side and be with me over here where I'm perfectly spirit-filled and spirit-led. And understand everything that I just told you about true partnership with Jesus and it's part of the tapestry of my life and I never forget it and I never miss a beat. Maybe that's what you're expecting, but surely you're not. You know me better than that. First, you know I'm not over there. And second, you know I wouldn't call you to be over there with me as if being over here is not part of your reality as well. Because this is part of our reality. Let me use uh, the illustration of Peter and apply it to myself. Peter's a wonderful character, full of stories. And when I look at Peter's stories, I realize this. There's times I'm like Peter. And I speak too soon. He was famous for that, right? Speaking out of turn. There's times, like Peter, I act like I have it all figured out. And all I'm doing is revealing my own ignorance and my own foolishness, as Peter frequently did when following Jesus. There's other times when I'm like Peter in this way I get it right. There's other times, like Peter, I say the words that Jesus, is, Jesus affirms. Remember when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got it, Peter. You got it. Hey, hey, that's the highest compliment when Jesus says you've got it, right? <laughs> you've got it, my friend. You've got it. Sometimes I'm like Peter then. I've got it. I say it. I live it. But also, sometimes I'm like Peter. I'm fierce and bold at the wrong times. I cut off the high priest's ear. Or the servant of the high priest. I step out and say what I think is the right thing to say. I step out and advance what I believe is a righteous cause. I I do all those things and I'm just like Peter in the garden. And Jesus says, put your sword back in the sheath and get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Peter's just trying to help out. And I often am like Peter there too. And sometimes I'm like Peter who is intimidated by a little girl at a fire who said, you're one of them, aren't you? Sometimes I'm like Peter there too. 
And I want to recoil and go into the shadows and say, oh, no, 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 you, you, you misunderstand. I'm not one of them. On some occasions, I'm like Peter on the day of Pentecost. Man, those are great days. Stand up and proclaim with all kinds of fierce authority. Feel so confident about the declaration that you have within you that you're giving to other people. And even sometimes lapse into overconfidence and pride. Sometimes I'm like Peter on the day of Pentecost. But here's the thing, my friend. I want to be like Peter in this passage. I want to be the Christ follower who understands that protection is not the absence of persecution. I want to be the Christ follower who affirms that God's sovereign reality is all over me and I don't need to worry because He's got it under His control. I want to be the Christ follower who's bold enough to speak and humble enough not to make it all about me. I want to be that kind of Christ follower. I want to be this kind of Peter. And on some days I am, and on other days I'm not. If you're a Christ follower, you're part of the kingdom of God. And that's incredible. You're a part of God's story. And that's amazing. You're partners with Jesus, and nothing could be greater. But you're flawed just like me. And on any number of occasions... You're not a good disciple. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that reality that we want to be this, but we're not? I want to suggest something. It's really an assignment for your week, okay? And I, unlike me, I got it on the overhead. I I want to suggest that you write down this prayer. It's a four-point prayer. And basically the prayer is that God would give you a glimpse of the big picture. Because I think that's what the disciples had on this occasion. They had a big picture view of reality. And so here's the prayer for me and for you. God, change my perspective and make it eternal. That's what I need tomorrow. I need God to change my perspective and make it eternal. The second thing I want to pray is God give me a a new meaning in life. Give my life new meaning. Transform the mundane, God. So that on Monday, the reality that I live with, which used to be mundane, is is seen through this prism of the sovereign grace of God. And the tiny, small little tasks, which otherwise could just bore the life out of me, become divine tasks because they're in the hands of a sovereign God. And third, God provide me with the assurance of your protection. In other words, God... Help me to believe deep down inside of my heart that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God 
and are called according to his purposes. Lord, provide me the protection that embraces that reality. And finally, Lord, let me experience peace in the midst of chaos. Lord, let me experience peace in the midst of chaos. I wonder if if that was our prayer this week, how it would change our week. You know, you can do all kinds of stuff now. You can put this on like a screensaver or something, can't you? On your phone or your computer or... You can do all kinds of tricks to remind you to pray this throughout the week. And if you're reminded to do that, it would be wonderful to hear those stories. I know we're not going to have time to share them all next week, but share them with somebody and be encouraged by the grace of God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your grace, uh, for your sovereign work in our life and in the world. Um, We're humbled by the fact that... um, We don't know what persecution is compared to many of those who follow you now. Especially at this time in our world with the chaos um, that is evident because of terrorism and severe persecution. Lord, we hardly know how to pray, but... We pray for those parents who even this week were asked if they were Christians. And when they refused to deny their faith, their children were killed before their eyes. Lord, we can't imagine uh, that kind of pain. We don't understand that kind of persecution. But we can pray right now, as the disciples prayed, all of whom but John faced martyrdom, that you, sovereign Lord, the loving God of this beautiful universe, will give them grace and peace. And that they will feel feel your uncanny presence in the midst of the chaos. And that somehow in the midst of the chaos, your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth just as in heaven. And then, Lord, it almost seems in light of that, petty to ask that this week you will be with us that you will change our perspective, Lord, and make it eternal, that you'll give our life new meaning and transform the mundane, that you'll provide us with assurance of your protection, and that you will allow us to experience peace in the midst of whatever chaos we encounter. We thank you, Lord, that we can pray that prayer, and we can pray for those others, and they can pray as well. And we can find your presence in the midst of our lives as we partner with you to share the gospel with others. These things we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.